Welcome to the Destiny Church 217 podcast, where we share the sermon of the week from Destiny Church. After the message, check out the show notes for links and more information on how to get connected with Destiny. Let's get into the message. If you'll go in your Bibles to Proverbs 14, 14, uh, we'll begin the ministry tonight. Tomorrow night, as every night is an encounter service, so tomorrow night, uh, we're going to minister to you on something that I've never preached yet. I just got it, and it's, but it's very powerful because, as you know, you have two natures. You have the nature that you were born with, which is a fallen nature, an Adamic nature, full of sin and wickedness, and every person has the same uh, Adamic nature. But because not everyone has activated that nature or fed it, that's why some people don't do those crazy bad things that other people do. But the seed for that evil is within every person. All you would have had to have done is been put in a situation like that and fed and fed and trained and trained. And you could also be crazy and do crazy things. But God had mercy on you and you're here saved. you are not going to hell. Wow. So that's a big deal. So you have the divine nature in that. And, and so as you grow up, as you're growing up, that Adamic nature in people that has been fed by Satan and people and has made that Adamic nature strong that exposure to those people and the way they treated you and what they did to you has created a whole world of inner conflict and pain. And so we're going to go through all the different types of Satan in nature, for example, the wolf, and all the different ones like that, and we're going to have a healing night, and we're going to get every aspect of that healed in your life so that the divine nature of God can fully take over and that you're not dealing with those things inside you that are not of God. So they can be silenced and removed from your life. Praise God. So everybody lift your hands and say, DNA victory is coming. It's a big deal. It's a big deal. Every, both of those natures within you become the soil in which God sows or Satan sows. So any place that your, your Satan is alive in you becomes a field for him to sow into. And then you end up having to reap that harvest of discouragement, hate, broken relationships, trouble, misery, judgment, all the different things that come from feeding that thing and for Satan being able to sow into that area of your life. You don't want that going on. You want Jesus sowing into you all day long. Praise God. So tonight we're going to actually talk about the laws of possessing. And, and I want you to think about those words because if you're in Egypt, I gave you the two ways to get out. If you're in the wilderness, I gave you the one way to get out. Now you're at the Jordan River ready to go in to your promised life. And to get everything Jesus promises for you. Look at all the promises in the Bible. There are so many promises in the Bible that if you wrote them all down, which I have, if you write them all down and, and memorize them or even read them on a daily basis, you're going to be totally edified. You're just going to be built up. You, I mean, literally, the negativeness of life will not be able to reach you if you are constantly bombarded with God's promises. It's a beautiful self-healing therapy that the Bible prescribes. Praise God. Look at somebody and say, you are looking better. <laughs> now, everybody knows you have an inheritance. Say it out loud. I have an inheritance. 
If you were here this morning, you know what kind it is. But there are certain people in the Bible that the Bible says these people will never inherit their inheritance. The first one, uh, Proverbs 14, 14, the backslider in heart. So a backslider in heart is a person who is committed to backslide. And what it says about them is they're going to they're gonna do bad until, and they're just going to be filled with that. They won't be able to stop like in 10 years or 15 or 20. 30 years from now, they'll still be doing the same bad thing because they're a backslider in heart. They will not get their promised life. Secondly, it talks about 2 Peter 4, 3, people that have itching ears who want to hear things that line up to their carnal desires. So when you have Christians that don't want to hear the truth, but they want to hear a particular kind of truth, they want to hear that smoking pot is okay. They want to hear that sleeping around is no big deal to God. They want to hear that adultery is fine. They want to hear that drug addiction is no big deal to God. They want to hear certain types of permissive, promiscuous doctrines. So they locate preachers and churches that believe those things and become a part of that deception and end up all in hell, most of them. Because people think that heaven is cheap and that you can cheaply arrive at heaven. Think about it like this. Jesus paid the price. We can't save ourselves. Jesus paid the price, but it's our choice to go to heaven or not. God doesn't force you to go to heaven if you don't want to. If you decide you don't want Jesus one day, and you say, I don't want heaven and all that, it's not like God's going to force you to go there. I rejected you. I don't want you. And you mean it. It's not like God's going to just, okay, uh, sorry, uh, your free will doesn't matter anymore. You asked me to save you. I saved you. Now it's all over. Come on in anyway. It's not like, oh, I, it's, this, you know, God cannot violate free will. And so think about what I just said. That may go against some of your own belief, but I'm right. I'm right. God doesn't force people to go to hell and he doesn't force people to go to heaven. He just gives you, here's the two choices. Choose. Choose life. Choose the blessing. Don't choose death and don't choose the curse. Every day while you're alive on earth, he's trying to reach you. So itching ears, people's going around searching for somebody. How, how can I, where, where's the somebody where this is okay? Because remember that man's ultimate, sinful man's ultimate desire, all of our ultimate desire is to sin and still be blessed. Where God is a holy God, and though he doesn't kill you for having issues, for having trouble, for having to, for failing, for falling, for struggling, for wrestling. He doesn't kill you, doesn't reject you. He doesn't kick you out or anything as long as you're still in the battle. It's when you surrender and say, this is what I will do for the rest of my life. It is not you have a battle, you fail, you overcome, you overcome, you overcome, you fail, you overcome. Your... That's actually being in the battle, and God is going to train you to get victory. Sooner or later, if you fight, you will win. Sooner or later, you will defeat that thing, whether it's one year or 20. But it's coming down. What you can't do is say, oh, I, I just can't live up to that. Maybe now you can't live up to it, but just keep walking with God. He's not going to kill you because you have, you have seasons of grace where God takes you through training sessions of your flesh and how to live in victory. Knowledge, sometimes one piece of knowledge can just give you the victory for the rest of your life. Just one revelation. Bam, you just got the victory for the rest of your life. It happens that quick. That's why you have to always be hungry for more of God's knowledge. Okay, so don't condemn yourself and don't be condemned if you're not living the kind of Christian life that can be tied to holy. 
Just remember, do you want that? Do you desire that? Is that the desire of your heart? Because that's what you got to look at. God looks at the heart. And then he lines up our behavior to that heart. Praise God. But not itching ears. Not itching ears. So, two. Uh, three, Matthew 13, five, those that live in shallow ground. They live where the shallow waters are, and those shallow waters freeze first. Four, Matthew 24, 34, people that deceive themselves and tell themselves lies. These people will not enter in. Uh, five or six, 1 John two sixteen. those that love the world, loving the world, <laughs> the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the deceitfulness of the pleasures of sin. Not going to enter in. So, and at any time, of course, you can repent for any of this and be fine at any time. But I'm giving you what the Bible says here really powerfully, very clearly, that people that are committed to these things have a very, uh, they don't, it's not possible. Look at this one in Matthew 7, 21. In the last days, many shall say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not perform miracles, cast out devils? And did we not prophesy in your name? And then he's going to look at him and say, you can't come in because I never knew you. Workers of iniquity. That's a big deal. We should fear the Lord, all of us, because it's not a joke. It's a serious thing. Christianity is a serious thing. It's just not a free ticket to heaven. It's a lifestyle transformation through an encounter with the Lord. Praise God. So I want you to think about that as we go on. And then in Revelation 2.18, but the cowardly and the unbelieving shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Very powerful things. Christians are not supposed to be cowards. We're not supposed to be afraid of sharing Jesus with strangers. We're supposed to talk to people and pray for them in public places. We're supposed to do acts of kindness and goodness everywhere we go. We should bring heaven to every place we're in. Whether it's the grocery store or the restaurant or the gas station We should bring heaven with us and not be cowardly and afraid to ask a lost person a simple question. Are you okay? Ask that question and see what answers you get from total strangers. And then ask this question. Do you want to go to heaven when you die? And watch the answers you get. You'll end up leading so many people to Jesus just with those two questions. I've learned this over 50 years of doing this. That if you truly care about a person, they can sense it. And once a lost person senses you love them, they will tear their heart right open for you and literally throw it on your face. Very important. Now to the laws of possessing. Look at two people and say, I really need help. So, we are, we are entering in by standing first in Joshua chapter 3 in front of the Jordan River. They have come out of Egypt. They have gone through the wilderness. Now they're standing at the Jordan River. I'm going to give you seven out of 21. And then tomorrow night, we're doing a a different thing, a different anointing for tomorrow night, and then again on, on Tuesday, a different thing. But, and as they bore the ark, as they that bore the ark were come unto Jordan, And the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped in the brim of the water. 
For Jordan overflows all its banks all the time of harvest, that the waters which came down from above stood and rose up upon a heap very far from the city of Adam. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea, failed and were out and the people pressed right over against Jericho. Now, you're at the Jordan River. This is the, tr the, the transition place from Egypt in the wilderness is the Jordan River. And this begins our first law of possessing your inheritance. And that law is found in the name of the word Jordan, to cross it. So this is a type. You and I have to cross through this river to get to our promised life. The name for Jordan means this, to descend into death. If you are going to get what God wants you to get, you're not going to get it with your flesh. Your, flesh, your anger, for example, will not get you your inheritance. Lying, for example, that will not get you your inheritance. Jealousy, competition, being offended, being easily offended, all forms of addiction, abusive thinking, abusive talking, abusive acting, that will not bring you the inheritance that you're searching for. So descending into death means this, to die to yourself and begin to live for God. Or getting rid of your selfishness. Selfishness is the ultimate curse of Adam. Because you and I are selfish, we are greedy and we are no longer caring about the other person. So the first act of receiving and the way you get what God wants you to have is by giving to others what they need and what they want as a lifestyle. So if you get up and you're driving down the highway and somebody's pulled over and you pull over and you help that person, that's an act of selflessness. If you're in a grocery store and you see a woman with several children and you can tell that they're not well off and you go over to her and whisper and say, I, I, the Lord has told me to buy you $500 of groceries. They're not going to say no. I've never had that happen. And especially if that $500 was your grocery money and you just bought them $500 with your grocery money, meaning you didn't get your groceries. They got them. That is going to bring your inheritance right to your door and release it right out of your soul. You will enter an anointing. You will enter a lifestyle. You will enter the tangible presence of God. Every act of selflessness is a key that unlocks the tangible presence of God in our lives. So if you want to know how to get all your stuff, give all your stuff. If you want to know how to get all your stuff, make sure everybody else has their stuff before you have your stuff. Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfishness and self-conceit. Praise the Lord. So look at everybody around and say, what could I do for you? If you have ever met a truly selfless person, here's how they act. How are you doing? How's everything going? Oh, everything's going great. Boy, I love your suit. That's what you say. You admire their suit. The next time you see them, they bring seven suits that they have bought for you. Armani's. Seven of them. Just because you said that one thing. 
And they say, here, I found out all your measurements and all that from so-and-so, and I got you these. You got these seven Armanis? I don't even wear suits anymore. I wear tennis shoes and blue jeans. Well, I'm sure there's some stuffy churches. I said, yes, yes. Armanis with silk on the inside of the legs. Probably 1500 to 2000 apiece. Or they say, how's, how's everything going? How's your car going? Oh, it's doing fine. I, you know, I'd like to get a new truck. And boom, they give you the money and buy you a new truck. Turn to somebody and says, who are Ivan's friends? <laughs> I have great friends. I have Eric and Cheryl. Praise the Lord. I have beautiful friends. Selflessness is one of the great beauties of Jesus. It is also the biggest curse that you have to fight every day. Being selfish and thinking about your own needs before the needs of other people. This stops you from getting what is yours. Your inheritance is tied to your selflessness. Praise the Lord. Let's take a praise break on number one and just lift our hands and say, wow. Come on, everybody. Praise him a little bit and say, glory to God. Thank you, Jesus. Mighty God of heaven. I got a word for you, ma'am. Standing right there. Yes. Go ahead and stand. The Lord is just wanting me to tell you these words. Everything that you could want and everything that you could desire. I want to give you. I want you to feel spoiled. I want you to feel over-nurtured, over-nourished, over-cherished, and over-loved. For I have been your father from the womb. And I will be your father all the way to heaven. Can you hear the bells of freedom, my daughter? For there is a new sound in your house. And it will be the sound of joy. What a great word. I receive it for myself. Praise God. We are always wanting to stand on holy ground and selflessness. It is in the power of your hand to do it. Do it. Praise God. Take care of that widow. Take care of that orphan. And may I shame you for a little bit. Do not die without having orphans whose names you know that you have personally taken care of. Because pure religion in the eyes of God and man is to rescue orphans and widows, to keep your life unspotted from the world. Praise the Lord. So tell somebody, what can I do for you? Say, hey, what can I do for you? We move on to the second law of possessing, found also in this scripture, here's what happened. The priests had the Ark of the Covenant. Now, if you don't know this, the Ark of the Covenant represents three things. The presence of God, the power of God, and the glory of God. They are not the same thing. Okay? The presence of God brings you joy, and you sense the presence of God. The power of God removes Satan and performs miracles. The glory of God knocks you off your feet and all you can see is Jesus and nothing else around you. These are three very powerful elements of God's presence. So here's what he told them. If you're going to go in this land and take what belongs to you, don't get ahead of that ark. And so the ark was, had to go ahead of them 
for three quarters of a mile ahead of them. They could not get in front of it because anywhere the, that ark went, they had victory. Anywhere that ark went, they had success. But if they ever got ahead of that ark, it was over. They got defeated. So the second law of possessing what belongs to you from God is follow the presence of God. You're on the highway driving. La, 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 praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Car passes by. They throw you the finger. They yell at you, do whatever. And you start, you son of a mother, let's go. Okay, now you're, you're not following the presence. You're not following the presence. You just left. You're singing all happy, and now you're not following the presence. Because, you know, to get what you need, you can't do it alone. You need God's help. You need the help of the Holy Spirit to even be who God wants you to be and to even get what God wants you to get. So the second thing you've got to do is be sensitive and follow the presence. If you're having a, a, a disagreement with your husband or wife, be aware. Say, okay, we're in a disagreement. Two more stages are yet to come. And I've got to decide if I'm going to follow that. Because the first stage is disagreeing. The second stage, which requires the participation of your flesh, is arguing. And if you argue and stay in it, stubbornly stay in it, out of habit, you're not following the presence now. But if you go to the third stage, which is when both of you begin to satanically prophesy to each other by telling each other what terrible things you are. Now you are Satan's mouthpiece to your own husband, your own wife, or your own children. You are not following the presence and there will be no inheritance for you. All you're getting is a bunch of devils and demons. People that are in prison did not follow the Holy Spirit. When you're out there working and you're a good-looking person, but you're already married, and some good-looking man or some good-looking woman is flirting with you, follow the presence. Because the presence will not tell you, dive into that, talk to that, flirt with that, get close to that. That's, that's, you're, 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 you're not going to get your inheritance. You're going to get Satan's inheritance. Because remember, Satan has one for you too. God has one for you, and so does Satan. He wants you defeated, sick, imprisoned, abused, molested, and dead. And in hell for all eternity. And if you're here and you're having an affair, break it off tonight. Apologize. Your husband or wife may not stay with you, but that's the consequence you've got to pay. To follow the presence. Maybe they will. Who knows? And if you're not, go ahead and give yourself a hand now. So, oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> but hear what I'm saying to you. Remember that any time you follow the, the voice of Satan, you have to pay taxes. Any time you follow the presence of God, he hands you another piece of your inheritance. So while you're sitting there, you're thinking, okay, I, I can't forgive these people. That's following Satan. So you stop and you say, no, I'm going to follow the presence. Where's the presence? Forgiveness. When you're sitting there on Sunday morning and they're going to take an, uh, the tithes and offerings, don't sit on your wallet or your check, knowing you're supposed to tithe. It's not an issue anymore. You, you know it's right. You just don't want to do it. Don't follow that. When you feel like that, tithe and then give some extra just to slap the devil in the face. <laughs> give somebody a high five and say, wow, this is another kind of Christianity that we're hearing about. Because see, when you start messing with people's money, you start messing with their God. 
So God wants to make sure he's the only God. God doesn't want you to tithe, ladies and gentlemen, because he needs your money. No, he wants you to tithe because he doesn't want you to need your money. Everybody say, okay, that's enough. I, I can't take more than that. <laughs> Two points is it for me on a Sunday night. <laughs> Follow the presence. Praise the Lord. Three, Joshua 3.10. I will drive out from your midst the Hivite and the Hittite, the Amorite and the Amalekite, the Girgashite, the Parasite, and all the Canaanites. I will drive them out. Deuteronomy, uh, Joshua 10.24. Joshua met five of the kings of giant tribes. These are five giants. They were the kings of five giant tribes, and they were the biggest kings, and they had been chasing them, and they chased them into a cave, and they got him and dragged him out of there. And then he put his foot on their neck in front of everybody and said, this is what we're going to do to all these giants. And then he hung them. Are you with me so far? Now, I researched the names of these five kings. Here's their definitions for their names. One of these giants' names was the taste of of venom in the mouth, which speaks of all hatred, revenge, violence, murder, and killing. Another one, the name of that uh, particular king was called, uh, the name means to wallow in uncleanness and perversion, which takes care of all perversion and all immorality and all of that. A third name of a king was called the king of terror, that takes care of all fear, all anxiety, and all the troubling worries of life. A fourth name of one of those kings was to see with twisted eyes, which takes care of all philosophies, all ideas contrary to the Bible, all ideas contrary to God, and all belief systems and all religions contrary to Jesus. Praise the Lord. And the fifth one... The fifth one was, the name was a pit of emptiness, which takes care of all loneliness, all disconnection, and anyone feeling like they don't belong and they're an orphan. All those areas are kings that are in your lives, and you are going to have to decide to put your foot on their neck. Or 1 Samuel 17, 51, David took out Samuel's sword and cut his head off. So the third law of possessing is you have to locate your giants for your personal life and kill them. So what do you mean? Well, we're not all the same, are we? I don't like Bud Light or any liquor of any kind. I have never tasted liquor in my whole life. Not because I've been saved my whole life, but my grandmother warned me as a child, six years old, if you drink liquor, I will break your face. <laughs> That's what she told me. So you drink liquor or take drugs? I'm six years old. And she had just knocked out a full-grown man who's laying on the ground. And she had a tortilla roller and was beating him. And that's when she told me those words. I don't know what to say. It had a psychological effect <laughs> on the way I view liquor and drugs. So as I'm growing up, my friends are all drinking, smoking, and taking drugs, and I'm, I'm having it offered all the time. And they say, why don't you smoke with us? Why don't you drink? Why don't you? I said... Do you know my grandmother? <laughs> so I don't have a giant of that kind. 
I have other giants that I've had to cut the heads off of and then teach my children, these are the giants of our family tree. Do not play with these because they are giants that will devour your life. You can't just drink whiskey in our family because my whole family is littered with alcoholics and my wife's family is all littered with alcoholics that died alcoholics and ruined their lives. So we taught our children never to touch liquor and our children have never touched liquor. We taught them every giant that we had in our family that we knew of. And we said, the chain of bondage and addiction stops with us right here. My wife and I said, this is the, where we put our sword down and this is where we die with our sword in our hand in this fight. But they're not going to pass on to our children. Maybe my parents passed them on to me and my grandparents, but we're not passing these on to our children. That's what love does. So the third law is you've got to locate your giants. If you're going to get your inheritance, you're not going to get it with a giant sitting on your head. If fear is your giant or loneliness or emptiness or self-pity or anger or rage or unforgiveness or murder or isolation or insulation or incubation or repudiation or manifestation, <laughs> just name and stuff. It's a preaching thing. <laughs> it's fun. I got to have fun. I mean, this is what I do every day. So. So for you then, you think about this. You have giants, and some of you have had these giants your whole life, and look what they've done to you. Look at how much they've taken from you. Look at how much they've stolen from you. For some of you, they've stolen your virginity. For others of you, you've taken people's virginity. Monsters, these giants. And you cannot receive what belongs to you as long as you let them live. You must kill them and then take the land they took from your family. Because your mom and dad should have had that land. Your great-grandfather should have had that land. But remember this, everyone in your family who had a divine inheritance from God and didn't get it, you get to claim it and you get to get it. That's why sitting in this room right now, there are a lot of millionaires that don't realize it yet. But not only are you financial millionaires, you are spiritual millionaires with an inheritance so big and so large because it's not just yours. It's also all of your relatives that had their stolen by Satan. Now that you are going to defeat him, he must pay you back seven generations. Seven generations. Seven generations. Come on, look at somebody and say, my, my, my. Four. Deuteronomy eleven twenty four. Wherever, number four, wherever the soles of your feet shall trod will belong to you. Joshua 10, I mean Joshua 14, 26. Joshua was 83, 86, and he'd killed giants all this time. And then he finally said, God, it's time for me to get my stuff. You promised me Hebron at 30. I want it now, there it is. And it's full of giants and I want to go kill them all and take my stuff. The fourth law of possessing is you've got to want what God wants to give you and you've got to claim it, chase it, run after it and want it more than anything else. You see, you may have a ministry waiting for you, but if you don't want it, Is there really anybody here that doesn't want what God wants for you? I don't think you'd have come back tonight if that was the case. I actually think you do want it. So you got to claim it. But you first have to know that God wants you to have that. You may say, oh, I would like a $10 million house. Why? 
Why? There's just two of you. What are you going to do? Have a go-kart in there? Or a golf cart? No, I just like that. Why? Why? And why would God uh, give you such foolish things? However, if you're going to have an orphanage and have three, four hundred kids in there, yeah, a $10 million complex like I have would be proper to ask for. But you have orphans in there. You're feeding people. You're rescuing people. It's not just for two people. Now, you can do whatever you want with the money you make from your own job. That has nothing to do with God. That's up to you. But we're talking about God-given things. And God wants you to be blessed and have nice things and all that, but not gold-plated toilet seats. That is not okay. But you do need a toilet seat of some kind. Praise the Lord. And all I can say, brothers, is please learn this lesson. Put that soil, toilet seat back down. Make sure it's nice and clean. So that in the middle of the night, your wife doesn't go in there and sit on a bunch of wet stuff. She will hate you till the day you die. So, claiming things that belong to you is of God. Claiming things that are of your flesh, selfishness, and greed is not of God. You can say, God, I want my house paid off. Every Christian should say that. So look around right now and say, I believe you are supposed to pay off my house. Just tell. You never know when it could be, okay, I'll do it. Just go ahead. Just tell everybody, tell everybody around you. Ma'am, you're sitting right here, right behind uh, Miss Cheryl. Would you stand? Extend your hands to this lady. And I want to tell you, ma'am, what I'm seeing right now in the spirit. I see the craziest picture. I see you uh, juggling ice cream cones. Every flavor. Because your life is going to be one that brings great delight and great happiness to people. You're going to bring so much joy, just like ice cream brings to people. Have you ever seen people in an ice cream place? No depressed people in there. I've never heard an argument at Baskin Robbins. Everybody's sitting there, and the women especially will cross their legs and be eating it and doing this. It's a wonder. Because of the joyful taste. And this is what God has wanted me to tell you. All the dealings of your life, all the testings, all the trials, all the questions with no answers are all leading to something sweet and delicious. You have tasted your bitter herbs. You have lived in your storms. You have wallowed in that pain long enough. The Lord says it's time to get to your ice cream life. Where everything about you has a flavor of heaven. Anybody that gets near you tastes the sweetness of Jesus in your spirit and soul. And everyone you love wants to be around you all the time. Come on, everybody. Let's take a praise break on that. Let's take a praise break on that. Come on, let's take a praise break on that and say, oh, God. Oh, Jesus, Lamb of God. Holy, holy, holy Lamb of God. Praise his name. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. How we love Jesus, how we praise Jesus, how we exalt his glorious and holy name, how mighty the Lord is. So you got to claim a thing. So let's talk about that. Let's say what you want is all your children to be saved. So how do you do this? You get on your knees. You lay on flat on your face. You say, God, I am claiming my children. Isaiah 54, 13. All my children shall be taught of the Lord, and great shall be their peace. And you start calling your children from atheism. Calling your children from drug addiction. Calling your children from worldliness. Calling your children from suffering and pain and hurt and anger. And you start claiming the restoration of God. Praise the Lord. Look at someone right now and say, this is your restoration year. Praise God. Five, this is very important. The Bible tells us in the book of Matthew that a man does not start building a building without first counting the cost. Praise the Lord. The Bible says this, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule. The Bible says this in Proverbs 6. Go to the ant, you sluggard, who gathers in the summer so that during the winter they have plenty to eat. And the Bible is constantly telling us about the power of paying a price for what you want. Here's how you do it. Let's say part of your inheritance is peace, like peaceful sleeping. You just want to have peace at night, no nightmares. And you want to have a restful spirit. How do you pay the price to get that? You go to your Bible, you look through your concordance, you find every scripture on peace, rest, and quietness. You then pull them all out one by one and put aside the ones you want to memorize then there's going to be a hundred of them. You will then memorize those and say them. You will pray them. You will sing them. You will journal them. You will share them. You will preach them. You will do it all day, every day. Before you go to bed, you will quote them all as you're going to sleep. The power that's inside the Bible, the Bible is the mind of God, and the mind of God contains his thoughts. So every thought God has is a medicine. So when you put the Bible inside you, you're paying a price for peace. The peace has been bought, but you're now transferring it, listen to my words, transferring it from position to possession. It is no longer in a bank. You're now withdrawing it and putting it in your tangible life. I just showed you how to do it. You do that for joy. You do that for love. You do that for faith. You do that for uh, resources. You do that for, you do that for everything. It's a price has to be paid. And another price you have to pay is the price of managing pain in order to love someone. People, not everybody's going to love you, and you're not going to love everybody. You're going to need God's help. What is the price you pay to love someone that you can't love? You go through all the scriptures on love. You memorize them. You say them. You journal them. You quote them. You share them. And while you're doing that, you're chewing them. You're digesting them. You're building up your love bank, or the love in you is being released taking over your mind, will, and emotions, taking over your conscience, your intuition, your spirit, 
all areas. And all of a sudden, you have a well of living love for a person you could not stand. You want to lose weight? It's the same for all of us, brothers and sisters. We have to move. And you have to sweat and you have to eat things that you don't like. Praise the Lord. Look at someone and say, I am going to be so skinny. <laughs> say that to your name. I'm going to be so skinny. Hey, listen, I've lost 21 pounds in one month. Because I've decided that I am going to pay the price to get my inheritance. Which lean, mean, preaching machine. Turn to somebody and say, oh, holla, holla, holla. Right? If you say, oh, Father, kill the calories and make me skinny, and then you eat a pie and a gallon of ice cream and expect to be thin in the morning by faith, it's not going to work. Pain is the price you pay sometimes for redeeming a person from Satan back to God. Because you have to tolerate their rejection, their bad words, their bad language, their hatred, their bitterness, their lack of understanding, their blindness, and you just unconditionally give them love. Unconditionally. And it hurts. Because you are murdering your pride and your ego and your vanity. They're treating you bad and you're treating them good. They're talking bad about you and you're talking good about them. And this is murder to your ego. Because your ego wants to go like this. And say, if you say that again, I'm going to knock your face through the door and repent later. This is a normal reaction of a normal human being. But we're not talking normal. We're talking possessing your inheritance requires unusual revelatory insight. Praise the Lord. If you're a diabetic and you want to not be a diabetic... There's a lot of things you're going to have to pay a price to, to get off of that. You can't just take medicine and eat sugar. There are prices you have to pay for things that you want. And this is the kingdom of God. If you don't lay down your life and pick up your cross. If you do not deny yourself daily. These are prices that are being paid. If you do not consecrate yourself to my service. If you do not say no to your desires, your wants, your urges, and your impulses, you will never have what I want for you. Praise God. Very, very important. That's number five. Number six. This is a very important one also found in Deuteronomy eleven twenty four, And that is this. When you want something, an inheritance, when whatever it is you want, whatever it is you believe God wants you to have, you have to become an owner, not a renter. You can't rent Jesus <laughs> and expect God to give you everything. You have to own Jesus. You have to own the Bible. You have to own the Bible. What does that mean? It means that this Bible, whether it's in your phone or whether it's a literal Bible like this gentleman has. Hold up your Bible there. Like that's a real Bible. Who else has a real Bible? These are all real Bibles. Okay. Now, most of you that have those real Bibles probably don't just go home and lay it somewhere and then don't pick it up till the next church service that bible if it's owned 
is written in and read every single day, sometimes multiple times a day, because it's owned. It's not rented. When you own Jesus, it's not like, oh, we got to go to church, so I guess somebody's going to make me talk to God. When you own Jesus, you never stop talking to him. All day. All day. I'm preaching, but I'm talking to God right now. I have a whole nother conversation going on while I'm talking with you. He's talking to me and telling me what to say and not to say. Now, I have always, haven't always listened to him, you know, when he told me not to say something. <coughs> Sometimes I've said it anyway, and then afterwards I say, oh, God, I'm so sorry. I won't do it. But it, I just thought it was really like I wanted to say it. And then, you know, you can hear God say, are we going to have this conversation? No, we're not going to have this conversation. It's over. Ongoing all day. In the car, everywhere you go. How do you know someone is in constant fellowship with God? Because two reasons. They have sweetness in their spirit. And the love of God flows out of them. These are the signs of having fellowship with God. What are the signs of having fellowship with Satan? Pride. Anger. Depression, loneliness, discouragement, lust, and all forms of abuse of other people. <coughs> because he's talking to you all day, and you're listening. Praise God. So if you own and are not renting, this will give you possession of the things that belong to you. Praise God. That is number six. Number seven and our final one, and then I'll minister to people because this is really important. Philippians chapter three. And there you can go, verse seven, eight, nine, 10, 11. But basically, Paul says, I, I consider everything to be trash, worthless trash in comparison to knowing God. The greatest key for unlocking your inheritance is having the kind of relationship with God where you are actually learning more about him every day. It is a relational thing that, that comes with the praying in the Holy Spirit. You pray in your spirit language, I'm praying in my spirit language. And that's something I haven't learned. It's a gift God gives you. You're filled with the Holy Spirit and it gives you a personal prayer language. And with that prayer language, there are over 100 benefits. I'm going to just give you one. Romans 8.26, he that prays in the spirit, it is not him that is praying, but the spirit makes intercession for him or the spirit writes his prayers for him. So wait a second. The Holy Spirit, when you go, when you're praying in the Holy Spirit, it's not you. It's the Holy Spirit formulating a prayer. Now you got to think what I'm saying now. God is the Holy Spirit. So God writes the prayer, sends it to himself, answers himself, and gives you the blessing. Now, if that's not good praying, I don't know what is. And for those of you that were raised without this information or were raised that the information is wrong... Remember, Satan's job is to demonize any gift that God wants to give you. But please remember, anything that is of God is beautiful. And if what I just did is not beautiful to you, then you're, you've lost your mind. Because to me, that is beautiful. Or you're religious. And think of it like this. When you watch TV, how many languages do you hear in one day? And as soon as somebody starts speaking Spanish, ay, hermano y hermana, ¿cómo están todos? Está bien, el Señor es grande, maravilloso, exaltado, soberano, rey de reyes y señor de señores. Are you all going to get offended now and leave? 
because I just spoke Spanish? So why is why when somebody go relar maha redush tazava? Because you have a religious spirit. You come from a religious background full of religious people that don't know God. All they can do is judge each other. Raise both your hands and say, holla, holla, baby. That's what I'm talking about. So praying in the Holy Spirit is one of the ways to know God. It opens up God. Another way to know God in your prayer time is when you talk to God with love language and you tell God how much he means to you. This will bond you to God emotionally. Another way to know God is to include God in every area of your life by praying about everything with other people. But these conversations of intimacy with God, they begin to reveal a whole different aspect of the wonderful powers of taking control of your inheritance and not letting Satan kill, steal, and destroy. Praise the Lord. Tell someone next to you that's exactly right. As we conclude this podcast, we want to take a moment to say thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please consider subscribing to receive our weekly podcast on your device. Check out the show notes for links to our website, more information about this message, or to support our ministry. You've been listening to the Destiny Church 217 Podcast, your place for real, relevant relationships.